To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? A new episode of Eastman's Elevated. So today on the podcast, I have on Eastman's own Todd Helms. Todd's just a super guy. I really enjoy talking with Todd. You know, whether we're hashing out ideas or, or talking over an article or talking hunting stories, or he's here on the podcast, I just always really enjoy our conversations. Um, he's articulate and intelligent, and he's got a real passion for Western hunting. So he's just the perfect guest for Eastman's Elevated. Um, today we talk over some of his archery elk hunting, we talk over his antelope hunt, which he just finished up, and then we really dive into submitting your story to Eastman's. And so we talk about writing and, and kind of my process for articles, and, and he talks over writing and how to start your story and, and uh, basically the whole process, and he's got really good insight into it because he used to be an English teacher and now being the editor at Eastman's, he reads so many hunting stories and he loves it. He loves what he does. Um, we also talk over you know, field photos, how to take more, how to take quality, what we're looking for. We talk over harvest photos and how to get that magazine quality harvest photo that we're all looking for. And, and, and having a good harvest photo means as much to me as the horns do. And, and also just capturing the hunt and whether it's through written word, whether it's through, you know, Field photos, harvest photos, all of those help create this lasting memory that you can always look back on. So even if you're not submitting a story, it's just a great episode where we talk over tips and tactics, how to improve your skill at, at remembering the hunt or capturing the hunt. Um, so you guys will enjoy today's episode. Uh, the sponsor for today's show is Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, just a great company to work for. Um they're so good to me. They really believe in this podcast and support me 100% on it. Uh, they have other new endeavors like uh, Beyond the Grid, the internet TV show. Uh, Dan Picard does a lot with that uh, as long as well as, as Guy Eastman. Um, then we've got our, our hunting show on the Outdoor Channel, which is just always evolving and always growing. And I know me, for, for my episodes I was approved for this year, I worked really hard to capture some some good footage and, and tell the story as, as good as I can. We've got a great editor in there, Lindsay, and, and, and just a whole team of people that help put that together. So that's really a cool deal. And and then our, our main staple is our magazine. And, and uh, the magazine, I know us staff writers, you know, I always say we pour our heart and soul into it, but we really do. We really are looking for uh, uh, new topics and, and new approaches to Western hunting and, and just try to to look. You know, I, lo I know I look for my success in Western hunting, and I just try to explain it to you guys. And, and so there's a bunch of different approaches to it, but... But we're really trying to share the secrets and tips and tactics that help make us successful out west. And so reading that can really further your learning curve and bring success to you quicker. Um, I love our subscriber stories. I, you know, I just like hunting stories. And so to read it 
coming from somebody else's perspective and 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 through somebody else's words and to look at their photos and and uh, I just really enjoy every time the magazine shows up in the mailbox and then they have the MRS section and the MRS is the members research supplement it comes in the back of the magazine when you're a subscriber this is just an awesome tool for western hunting and really this is how I started doing adventure hunts out west um, it's just such a great research tool is it breaks down every unit rifle bow muzzle loader it breaks down trophy quality it breaks down you know percentage of public land percentage of wilderness uh, roughness of terrain it's just such a great tool they've got a bunch of harvest statistics in there Um, it's just absolutely awesome and that's worth the subscription alone not to mention all the other stuff you get so Uh, Make sure to check out Eastman's Hunting Journal. Thanks to those guys for all their support. Oh, and make sure you guys check out the gear guide that's coming out in the next issue. Um, So this is our Christmas special. Um, In there, we've got all our new logo gear, which I just love. Uh, Our logo gear... It, it seems like that's evolving all the time, and I, I just love the new logos they come up with and, and the new designs with their hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts. Um, you can also get uh, books, DVDs in there. The the gear guy's just full of, of great gifts for the Western hunter. So if you're shopping for somebody that loves to hunt, guaranteed you can find something in that gear guide. Uh, and with that, let's get this thing rolling. So me and Todd Helms, Eastman's Elevated, here we go. Did you have a good weekend? Oh, yeah. It was a, a great weekend. I didn't do a whole bunch, but uh, got some runs in, and then I, I went and, um, oh, I swung some, some holes down here with the big streamer and tied on to a couple good browns and kind of let the Orange Army have their way with Montana this weekend. But I'm going to be getting after it next weekend. It looks like um, you were doing some antelope hunting? Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Brandon and Scott and I have, and well, my wife, and I'll have uh, – Unit 83 down between between Powell and Thermopolis, basically between Matitsi and Thermopolis, really. And uh, I've I've had that unit several times and killed some good bucks in there, but uh, hunted it late this year. I really waited. I didn't I didn't hunt antelope at all until two weekends ago. Went out and I didn't find anything I wanted. My my wife got a buck, so that was cool. Got a buck with the little kids and with the girls made it easy you know she said she wasn't going to be picky and then she started getting picky and i looked at her and i said you realize that you've got we've got two little girls in the truck and we you and i can't go taking off on these big long stocks with the girls i said you're gonna have to shoot something pretty much from the truck she said yeah i know and we found a little butt group and and she was able to get it done after she quit being so picky but uh it was cool we had a great time and then Last weekend, I went down, Saturday, I went down with Brandon, and uh, yeah, found some good bucks, and, and the bucks have finally moved down out of the high country, and it's kind of funny, that area down there, there's quite a few antelope that summer, um, all the way up to 10,000 feet, and some of the big basins, and so a lot of those bigger bucks, you don't even see them until this time of year, or even early November when they come down because of the weather. So it, it, I don't know, it pays off to wait a little while. Oh, and the pressure gets off too. Yeah, man, there's nobody out, there's nobody out there. You know, we hunted, we hunted, it's a huge unit and we didn't cover very much of it, but I hunted the, I really, I covered like the whole thing last weekend and I never saw another antelope hunter. 
You know, everybody's chasing elk or they're chasing deer and you got the whole place yourself and the goats aren't spooky because they're not getting chased around. And it's, I don't know, it's, I like that later in the year stuff. Man, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I love having it all to yourself like that. And later in the year and, um, during that bow season, I do that same thing. I get excited early, right. but there's so many guys out. And if you just wait, yeah. the rut gets kicking off and then there's no pressure in September and October. And I've got such a sweet deal where I can just go evenings after work every night that I'm not elk hunting or deer hunting or something. So, um, yeah, I, I really like waiting late and then all the pressure's off. I can really enjoy the hunt and, and, uh, go for it. And there's some really nice bucks that make some big mistakes in September and October. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and, and this time of year, they're so focused on, on after the rut and there's a few bucks still rutting. You'd, you'd see them with found a late cycle doe or something, but for the most part, they're just trying to put weight back on. Oh. And, you know, the buck that I shot, the buck Brandon shot, we broke them down, and there's no fat on them whatsoever. They're just lean muscle, you know, and they're just chowing, just chowing. And they they really don't think much of it. You know, you drive around and glass and glass and glass and glass until you find one you want. And then, you know, Brandon and I, we didn't, neither one of us, we had we didn't have to stalk either one of those bucks. You know, it's different with a rifle, obviously. It's a lot easier. But, um, <laughs> just get set up and, and try to, the hardest part's the sage brush in the tall grass so you can get a, get a shot. <laughs> but, <laughs> that is the toughest yeah, thing, the, isn't it? Getting a shot over the sage yeah. brush? Oh, you know, and I, I like to shoot prone. Anything past 200, I'm, I'm prone. And, yeah, I mean, it, the buck I shot ended up feeding out on an open hillside after about 15 or 20 minutes, and, and I was prone on a little knob, and, he was above me, so I didn't have to worry about any of the grass or anything, and it was it was easy. Spent all three hundred yard shot, and that little six millimeter Creedmoor that I'm testing is it's quite the little round, man. It's uh, you know all these guys shoot that six five Creedmoor, but that new six millimeter Creedmoor just came out this year and or last year, I guess. And we got a rifle in here, and Brandon said, "Here, nobody wants it. You shoot it." I said, okay. <laughs> Twist my arm, it's, huh? It's, yeah, right. It's, it's wicked. It's wicked. It's fun to shoot. So. Oh man, that but, is yeah, a man, sweet shooting little rifle. Yeah, that was a great buck you killed. I like his big prongs. Yeah, he was kind of an. I looked at him for quite a while. Brandon's was a no-brainer. He stepped out, and the more we looked at him, the bigger he got. You know, and Brandon's like, dude, he's literally in a perfect spot for video and that's a nice buck i'm gonna kill him so he did got it done and got it all on camera and we really weren't planning on filming me and then it worked out where we got that one on camera too but yeah mine was kind of funny we drove back into this basin where my wife had killed a booner a couple of years ago and there's i don't know 150 goats in there all spread out and he was in the middle of a group quite a ways out in the sagebrush and by the time I glassed him up really good, he'd actually the whole group had actually fed right into rifle range, and I was like, "Sweet, <laughs> I'm not gonna have to try to sneak across this wide open prairie dog town." You know, and they were right there. It's like, okay, but I was looking at him and looking at him and looking at him, and I knew he had good prongs. And then finally, he turned his head just right, and I was like, "Man, he has a ton of mass above his cutters too." And his mass measurements above his cutters are four inches and three inches three inches right out at the tip. And I was like, holy smokes. I knew he was a little short. You know, I was like, man, I don't know if he'll even go 14, but 
I can't let that. I can't let him go. He was really nice, and he wasn't. He was uh, just a shy, just shy of fourteen, but had everything else that I knew he had, and just oh, I was stoked. Oh yeah, uh, you'll see it. You'll see it on video. My reaction. I I kind of freaked out a little bit. I was pretty. I was pretty excited. <laughs> That's the a good thing. The last one I killed was a. Oh yeah, man. The last one I killed was a mercy killing. I didn't draw. I didn't draw antelope last year. And any of the places where there's leftover tags are they're they're a long drive. And I had a I had that smoker elk tag last year, so I was like, I'm just going to focus on elk. And. Uh, so it'd been a year since I'd shot an antelope and the last one I shot was an absolute mercy killing. You know, we watched this buck and he was a good buck, but man, he was all busted up and we're looking at him through the spotting scope and he had like a big tear in his nose across the bridge of his nose. And you could see the pus running out of his nose. And he was just like standing there with his head down. Like he was just super sick. And he'd go to, he did try to take like a step or two and he just, stagger and almost fall over and he was emaciated man you could like count his ribs through the spotting scope see his hips he was just terrible looking buck and i said you know what he's a nice he's a he's got nice horns i said i'm i'm gonna shoot him and it was i don't know when you do something like that you kind of you eat your tag for the good of the animal you know and and uh it was it was like yeah okay i i killed him yeah, All right. for the so, for the better of the species, and and yeah, what a, what a good yeah, move to make. It was the make. right thing to do. Yep, exactly. It was the right thing to do, you know. And 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 I've done that. I did that back in Michigan quite a few times on whitetails. You know, we had two buck tags back there, so that was easy. But our rule was if you see a leg swinging or a gut shot animal, you put them down. And uh, that was the same way with this buck, you know. And I'm not sure what what all was wrong with him, other than I think he was older. His teeth were all worn down and. I think he was just worn out from the rut, and I think a younger buck had gotten a hold of him and hooked him pretty good. And yeah, he just—he wasn't going to make it, and it was—he was suffering. And so it, the vibe, you know, you don't get as excited over something like that. You know, you shot it, and you're like, okay, yeah, got it, okay. But this buck, I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun, and that's the right time to get excited is after he goes down. That's when I start to shake, too, and get excited, you know. Um, you're so focused on the moment, but then after it happens, you know, that's the perfect time to, to let the excitement come over you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, well, Todd, I think yeah, I'm no just doubt. gonna. I think I'm just gonna start this from the start of our conversation, talking about the weekend. There was such good antelope talking there, but I wanted to get you on here today. I want to talk about uh, guys submitting their story to Eastman's. As the bow hunters are getting done, rifle hunters are just getting going, and it, it's such a cool deal, you know, when you can capture a hunt like that and have it published in a magazine and then have that as a memento to savor for the hunt and it's the the pictures and the spread that goes into it and then the story uh it's just such a neat experience and it's how i got my start for eastman's was just writing articles and submitting them but but it's such a cool feeling and so i just want to give the guys the confidence to know what they need to do to send to you to to be able to get published in eastman so maybe we'll start with um the story so so what do you recommend to guys um for starting a story you know i know i like to write down you know different points or topics that happen with the hunt and kind of go from there like like what's your strategy for writing a story you know brian honestly it's the age-old question you know how do i start writing how, how do i start something when i was teaching when i was in the classroom as an english teacher i would i would 
tell my students, you know, we go through the entire, the entire writing process from pre-writing to drafting to editing and proofreading to final draft and then publishing. And the, the hardest part for, for kids and, and for most people, I think, is getting started, like you said. And honestly, my strategy, it depends on what I'm writing, but nine times out of ten, I just start writing. And that might sound trite. You know, that might sound a little contrived and, oh, yeah, you just start writing. Okay, sure. But, you know, I can kind of compare it to when you're, when you decide you're going to go, you know, you want to go out for dinner, but you don't know where you want to go. And you get in the vehicle and by the time you've driven a quarter mile, you've probably made up your mind. You started out of the, out of the driveway, left the house with really no destination in mind other than you're hungry. And by the time you've been in the, in the vehicle for a few minutes, you've usually picked out where you want to go and where you want to eat. And it's just kind of a, it's kind of a funny analogy, but it's true. Just start writing. And most of the time within a paragraph or a few sentences, you've got a direction and you've got a line on the story and you, and then you know how you want to tell it. The other way that I like to do it is I'm an outline guy. I, I like to sit down and especially if I have a more technical piece that I'm writing, I like to sit down and I outline the whole thing before I start writing. And it, what it does is it gives me a chance to get my ideas down on paper or on a computer or however, let's face it, I mean, it's usually a, usually a Microsoft Word document or a Google document, so I'm typing. But I'll create an outline with all my major points and ideas. You know? So if you're thinking about a story, I try to, I try to tell guys, steer, steer clear of the, I waited 20 years, or I put in for 20 years and I finally drew the tag that type, that type of intro, because I get a lot of those. I, I do. We get a lot of those. And honestly, what I see that make the best stories are the ones that don't start that way. Maybe they start with the moment right before the trigger's pulled or the arrow's released. And then it takes us, then the story starts backward. You almost start with the, with the, begin, with the end, begin with the end. That's kind of a neat way to do it. But however, however you want to, however you want to draft it, however you want to start with your pre-writing, just be original, be creative. And that's one of the things that I think is hard because writing is a pretty, it's a pretty personal thing. And, and people are, people don't, don't want to take that criticism. And, and I really, really try to encourage folks to say, you know, that's not it at all. I'm here to help as, as the managing editor of Eastman's, I think my number one job is to help people write their stories, help people become better hunters through what we publish. And I'm here 24 seven, you know, that's the cool thing about email in today's world. You're always connected. And so if people get, get stuck or they need a question or, or some help, they can let me know. And, and most times we can get things sorted out, but the biggest thing, be you have an original voice and just write and we'll, we'll sort it out. We'll make it, we'll make it good. If it's, if it's a little rough, We'll make it sound great before before it's done. And uh, honestly, most of the stuff I get is great right out of the get go. I spend a little bit of time cleaning things up and and cutting things down for magazine length. But other than that, most of the stories I get are really are really really well done. 
Yeah, I, I know you've helped me over the years. I I send you all my stuff, and you edit all my things. And sometimes I'll read my article, and I'll see a changed sentence or an added thing here or there. And you don't change my voice or my writing or what I'm trying to say. But sometimes you add to it, and I go, God, that Todd, he made me look good again. You know, he added that in there. He worded this just a little bit different. But you had so many good points there, Todd. Like like you say, just get started and and you can't sit at the computer and try to think of the perfect words for too long, or at least I nah. can't. Like, I just – I start writing, and I can always go back through it, and, and where I get stuck is on the beginning. So sometimes I got to skip the beginning paragraph and just figure – you know, I'll sort my way through that later, you know, because I always want to start my story exciting and hook the reader. And whether that's starting from the end like you mentioned or – you know, instead of saying how you drew the tag, like go into go into all your preparation or all the the hunting years you put in that added up into this one moment, or or you know all the hard work you put in or the pack in or however it starts. But you really want to draw your reader in, and so sometimes I get stuck on that first paragraph or trying to word things too perfect. But if you just start getting your thoughts down onto paper. Then you can go back through a day later, and it seems like you can rewrite that paragraph or rewrite that beginning or, or, or make changes to it, and that's where your story really starts to take shape. Oh, I completely agree, Brian. You know, and, and you said, oh, that Todd makes you look good. Well, it's, it's easy to make you look good when you, write, when you write like you do. And, you know, changing a word here, putting a phrase in, that's that's easy when, when I'm dealing with the caliber of writing that you produced. So thanks for the compliment, but right back at you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're, you're, you're spot on, though. Um, just, just start writing, you know, and um, that's a huge thing of, of, of my job. And what I do is I'll get submissions, and a lot of times, we can only print usually a thousand to fifteen hundred words for a feature article. Sometimes a little bit more, but for the most part, that's what we're looking at, and that's just kind of the world we live in today. And that, and so I get stories that are twenty five hundred to three thousand words long, and then I've got to cut those down to make the voice and maintain that that person's voice. And that's honestly what I'm trying to do. I'm when I'm reading that, I'm trying to picture in my mind's eye what this person looks like, how their voice sounds, what the country they're taking me through looks like, all these different things, and maintain that original voice. And the only, the only way, or the best way to capture that is to just write, and it will come out. And it's hard, you know, if you, if you struggle, like you said, struggle with the beginning, start with the end, start with the middle. That's where, that's why there's phases and, and steps to the writing process, you know, and you're talking about the drafting phase, don't worry about the perfect sentence or the perfect word. That's what proofreading's for. That's what editing's for. That's my job as well, is to clean things up and maybe nail a, nail a phrase down a little bit better with a little change. But yeah, I think people do get caught up in the details and and they just need to understand they don't 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 fret. Don't don't worry about that. Just write your story. And I like to tell people, you know, pretend that you're telling this story around around a campfire in hunting camp. Or around, you know, it's hunt season's all done and you're telling family that you haven't seen all year at the Thanksgiving dinner table about this hunt. You're, gonna, you're going to be very original as you're telling that story. Try to think like that and, tell, and write your story that way. Because odds are, if it's, if it's interesting to people that you're talking 
telling it to, probably going to be interesting to readers as well. And so just trying to capture that original voice and that just that style, that flavor, just be you. Oh, I love that advice. Um, that telling around the campfire, like you're telling your friends or like you're telling your family, because you're right, you can't try to be something you're not, you know. And so, you yeah. you know, when I when I get writing, it's exactly like I'm talking to you now, or like we talk on the phone. You know, I I use the same lingo. I it's my voice when I'm writing, and so I don't right. change it up at all. I just let it come out of me, and I don't I don't try too hard to. Um, you know, try to try to override it or try to overuse words that I don't use in conversation. I do it exactly like I talk in conversation. And I see that too, where, where some guys try to almost try too hard in their writing in these descriptive words. And, and it just doesn't sound quite right. It's better when it comes out of you, like your own voice, like you're sitting around the campfire, you know, and then you get to see the personality of the writer, I think. <laughs> No, you're you're exactly right. You get to see the personality of of that person, and you can't you can't be just like you can't be someone you're not. You can't write like someone you're not either. And so maintaining that that authenticity is is important. It's it's really huge. And it's not like you know we're, you're not writing. I guess a message to a message to to submitters here you're not writing for the Yale school of law, you know, you're writing, <laughs> you're writing, you're writing for a hunting journal and we want your hunting stories. And by definition, those are original. Those are unique to you. Those are colorful in the way that you paint the picture. And it's not technical writing. It doesn't have to be spot on perfect. It just has to tell the story. And if it's a little rough, so be it. That's my job. I'll, I'll, I'll clean it up, but you got to remember that, that you're writing for a hunting journal and it's about hunting stories and the best hunting stories are original ones. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, and, and like you say, you're so approachable and, and easy to get a hold of and willing to help. You enjoy teaching and you enjoy helping and you enjoy hunting stories and, and you were an English teacher and helped those kids for years, but, um, you, you just, you bring that to the table there at Eastman's. And so, yeah, I think, I think guys need to take advantage of it. And I know, I know I do. I run some of my stuff through the podcast three and just have you look at it with a different eye and you'll right. come up with different things or different ways to say things. But, um, you're really a huge asset to those guys writing a story and, and also for those guys writing, um, you know, I made this point earlier, but just like if you just start getting it down on paper, it's amazing. Like you'll be stuck and it doesn't quite sound right. And you take a day off of it or two days off of it yeah. and come back and you read through that story. Everything just starts clicking for you, you know, and all of a sudden yeah, you, a you change this and you change that and you reword this and you say, you know, this did this paragraph really didn't make the point I wanted to make about this lightning storm. Like I want to rewrite this section, but the more time you can spend with your story, you know, and I know with us we have deadlines, but I always try to plan at least a week with my story, if not two weeks with my story, where I can just go back and re reread it and then just make changes and kind of rewrite things. That's where my best writing comes out, it seems like. No, you're – Brian, you're, you're spot on. You're absolutely correct. If you're stuck, set it down. Walk away from it. 
You know, it's a, it's a submission to, to Eastman's. It's not something that, that you're necessarily, your job is counting on or that raise is contingent upon. It's a story and it's for entertainment purposes. And I would rather have guys take the extra day or two or week and produce something that is unique to them and it sounds like them and that they're happy with than rush through it and feel like they got to get it turned in and they got to get it done. And so it's not, it's, it's not as good as it could be. You know, they, they didn't necessarily tell the story the way that they, that they would really like to. And so it's, it's a good, that's a good thing to keep in mind. It's not going to hurt anything if you walk away from it for a day or two and come back and look, you know, I just, I just edited something that I wrote for the next issue of EHJ. I went back through and it had been written for a while and it had been edited a couple of times and proofread. And I went back through it one more time and read it and I changed some things because I didn't like the way it sounded after a, a month of it sitting on the back burner and I read it one more time, I thought, that's not what I wanted to say there. I want to say it like this. And sometimes that's what it takes. Oh, that's case and in point. Don't be, don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and, um, I noticed, too, like there's a flow state with writing where sometimes you're just in the right mood and the right mindset, and yeah. it just comes out of you. And sometimes I write things and I read back, you know, not that you impress yourself or I think, gosh, I wrote that or, you know, it, it really comes out well. Like sometimes you can't even believe it came out of you. It's it's such a cool experience when you get like in that flow state of writing, like in it, right away in the morning after I have a, my cup of coffee and I'm not bothered by anything. Like some days I just get in this, this writing flow state where it just comes out of me, where I feel like I could I could write 10,000 words if I had to but I love that feeling when you really get into it and then some days are tougher for me I sit down at the computer and have to make myself write and it just doesn't seem to quite come out right but but it's weird yeah. how you have those different those those different mind stages when you're writing or that that different flow state when you're writing do you have that as well oh I think all writers have that Brian you know I I go back. I'm a I'm a Hemingway fan, and I go back and I I I read some of his stuff, and I think, my goodness, what what a masterful writer. But what we don't see with that is it's so it's you know it's like the Michael Jordans of the world. You all we see is the finished product, and we don't see the the effort and the work that went into writing that book or making those free throws at the line look so effortless. And Hemingway talked talks about how he would get up and he would, when he was in his writing mode, when he was working on a book, he would get up at five in the morning and his writing day started at six and he would write oftentimes until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night and then do it again. And some days he would only write a paragraph in all of that time. He would only produce a paragraph. And, you know, obviously we're talking about a master writer, but it's not, writing's not an easy thing, but the best thing I think that what you hit on is focus on your productive times. And for Hemingway, that productive time was early in the morning. If it's late at night, write late at night. If it's, if it's early in the morning, write early in the morning. If it's middle of the day, sit down and pen some stuff on your lunch, on your lunch break. Um, you know, and we're, we all live in really busy world in a busy world and we have busy lives. And sometimes you have to write when you have time. And so, so we have to do that as well. But 
Yeah, it's there's definitely times for me that are more productive. I, I tend to be most productive either first thing in the morning or late at night. And it, that sounds strange, but sometimes I've had some, some late night writing sessions after everybody's in bed, after the family's all in bed, that that's, I go back the next day and I think, man, that's exactly how I wanted to say that. Um, but for me, yeah, it's, it's first thing in the morning. And I, I think it's that way for all writers. There's, and, and the best writers know, hey, this is when I'm most productive, so this is when I'm going to do this. And uh, we don't all have that, that ability or that time to do that. And so, But if it's not flowing, don't force it. Come back to it the next day. Come back to it two days later. And like you said, it's amazing. When it starts flowing, it's like, an unst- it's like you tapped a well, like an artesian spring, and it's just, the words are just flowing out of you. you know, it's, it's incredible, and it's a good feeling when it does that. Oh, it is. I love that. Yeah. When you get in that state of mind. Um, and, and so in writing your story doesn't have to be all the way from start to finish. Like you talked, sometimes you, you start with the most exciting part and then get into the story. But, you know, you don't have to give every detail of the hunt. It seems like you you just want to hit those main exciting times, maybe a, a stock that went bad or, you know, grueling into country or whatever the story is. But it doesn't need to be a day by day, hour by hour story. It's like you kind of no, hit. No, not at all. You kind of hit the most important, the most exciting points, and, and that kind of creates the story. And so, um, and it's and it's just so fun, you know, whether you're getting published or not, just to write down those details of your hunt and those exciting points of your hunt to go back and read. And I still read some of the first articles I ever had published in, in Eastman's, and I go back and I, I read them, and it, it takes me right back to, to even details that I forget about. And so along with taking your photos, support photos and harvest photos, it, it's just a great way and a great exercise to remember your hunt for, for years to come. No, completely agree. I, um, I'm, I'm not as, not as diligent of a journaler as I would like to be. You know, life's busy. Everybody gets busy and, and things, life happens and gets in the way, but I'll go back at the end of the season and I'll write down poignant stories or poignant memories on top of things that I've, that I've capitalized on the moment and written down at the time. But one of the coolest stories, Brian, that I have about journaling and about keeping a journal and writing things down was this fall we're sitting, I was at elk camp, archery elk camp in September, and we got weathered in really bad one day. It started to snow um, and then on an afternoon, and it snowed hard all evening long. And the next morning we woke up, and it was still coming down. And we thought, man, we're going to, we're going to sit this one out for the morning and, and see if it breaks in the afternoon. And we ended up sitting around the wood stove in the wall tent with the grandfather of the guys that I was with. And he's grandpa's, I think he's 83 and he was still in elk camp and, and he had a little spot out behind the tent, maybe a quarter mile up in the, up this ridge where he'd go and on a, sit on a crossing every day. But that particular day we just sat around the wood stove eating cinnamon rolls and drinking coffee. And he told stories from his 60 some years of hunting. And he'd written almost all of them down. And because he'd written them down, he had all the details in his brain stuck in his head. And he could, man, he told us stories about 
his his grandfather guiding in the Bob Marshall and the stories of, of previous generations to even him and talking about learning how to break down a, uh, an elk with an axe and stories about tr- being treed by bears. And I, I, I mean, I could go on ad nauseum about this day, but it was, was one of those days that the sitting and listening was way more important than being out pounding the hills. And uh, could it, who, who knows how many elk camps he's got left. And so to be able to sit there and listen to a man who had a, not only a wealth of knowledge, but such a deep well of entertaining stories because he'd taken the time over the years to write them down and to write down field notes and different things. He remembered all of it and he could tell it to us. And oh man, it was, it was one of the coolest days. I, in retrospect, I should have gotten my phone out and just hit record and just recorded the whole thing. Cause talk about, talk about just a priceless afternoon like, you know, the elk can wait. This is what really matters. And, and capturing those things in your writing are huge. You know, it's, it's not all about the harvest. It's not all about the, a big part of the hunt is what takes place when you're not actually truly hunting. It's the interaction with people you're with, the interaction with a gray jay, you know, that, that flies up and sits on and sits on your, on a limb next to you for a few minutes. I, those things are all huge things to be able to try to weave into, into stories. And it's, it's difficult, but the biggest thing is writing them down. So you have them to draw on. And I, I just wanted to share that. Cause that was just, that was the highlight of my fall. You know, I just, that for me, that was the best day of elk season. And it was, didn't have anything to do with actually being in the field. <laughs> Man, that is so cool, Todd. I love listening to stories like that. My my grandpa's 87 and still sharp and has oh. he's western Washington and so many stories of uh, uh, blacktail hunting and Roosevelt's and uh, and he's a really good storyteller. But yeah, I I could listen to that uh day in day out and I I I love listening to to my dad's stories when I was young and and my uncles and and just different hunting stories. I've always been a fan of hunting stories. It's probably why I love Eastman's Hunting Journal and Bow Hunting Journal so much because I I love hunting stories and love you know diving in and and uh, I I kind of let them drive for me. I don't do a lot of thinking. I just start reading that story and, and I they can almost put me in that place they're at. I I almost feel like yeah. I'm right there. Um, but that is so cool. Yeah, those those are the the moments and and we only have so much hard drive space in our in our minds to remember things and remember cool events and stories and details of it and and the more adventures we have and memories we have it starts to wash away other things and you always remember you know your first deer your harvest or how you felt but it seems like some of those details begin to wash away and i I know i've forgotten more hunting stories than than i know now you know they just like the details wash away you are getting up there brian you know (laughs) First thing to go, man, is your memory. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's already going, but yeah, um, but I, I'm I'm with you, man. Just writing that down in a journal and remembering those details and those hunts all bring it back. And and 
what makes me think of that is when I'll be together with a buddy and he'll say, hey, did you remember this? Or And he'll start telling the story and we'll tell it together. And all of a sudden he's remembering details that I forgot about it. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm remembering as he's talking like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Where if I if I keep a better journal and be more disciplined, which I'm constantly working on, you know, I I remember those little details. So I do. I think it's a great way to remember your hunt. No, it absolutely is, you know, and, and back before the advent of of the written word, it was all oral tradition, you know, stories were passed down via word of mouth, but there was always someone in the clan or the tribe or the village whose job it was to be the caretaker of the stories, and they would remember the stories, they would commit them to memory, and they would teach the next person and these stories were handed down for generations and generations. And then finally, writing happened, and now we write stories. And so capitalizing on that, just it's huge. Because like you said, you forget things. We, we forget details. We forget how that bear's black fur glistened in the sunshine you know just just right or how that moose that first moose that you walked up on just the enormity of that animal and and how it words even have a hard time capturing that but taking the time and writing that down even even when you get home you know brandon mason here in the office was on a dream hunt this fall did a did a float hunt in alaska for moose and he's been writing things down, everything from gear reviews to the story of the hunt. And it's fun to sit and listen to him tell them. But because he's been writing them down and, and remembering those, and it's still pretty fresh in his mind, he's got those things captured. And that's the biggest thing that I would say. Obviously, here at Eastman's, we need your stories, and, and we, we run on that fuel. That's the fuel that runs this train, our, our subscriber stories, and we need you to write them and send them to us because that's what makes this thing go, and, and we want to share. We want to share your stories, and we want you to use us as that venue to be able to do that. And But even if even if you get done with a hunt and you think you might want to someday submit it, write it down. And even if, if you say, you know what, I'm never, this is just for me, write it down anyway, because it's just a good practice to get into. And I, I, I don't know, that's the English teacher in me and the, and the, and the editor in me. Is I love the written word and I can't say enough good things about having those, having those memories recorded on, on paper or on a hard drive, on a computer someplace. And if you're going to tell it, you might as well tell it to us too so we can share it with everybody else. Oh man, it is so cool to be published in that magazine. You guys do such a good job or we do such a good job. I am part of the team, but uh, of oh, sending yeah, out yeah, of sending out like the the gifts um that we give out for writers um that are published, you know, if you make the cover, uh you you get the premium gift. What is the the cover um what do you guys get now for the cover? Our covers are sponsored our covers are sponsored by Zeiss. I thought they were. And so for yep, and so for the hunting journal it's a rifle scope and I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure which specific model it is, but it's a high end Zeiss rifle scope. And for the bow hunting journal, it's a high end pair of Zeiss binoculars. And 
I, Zeiss is super generous with that and makes that happen. And, and along with our other sponsors, I mean, we always have, I'm not even going to try to name them because I'll come up short on something and I don't want to do that. But across the board, our sponsors for our gear giveaways are incredibly generous and hook our stories, hook our submission, our, our authors, our, our folks who submit stories, they hook them up big time. You know, I, I, it's part of my job is, is making sure that gear giveaway gets put together for all the different stories. And I, I can't believe some of the stuff that, that is given out every, every, with every issue. I just sit back and go, Holy smokes. That is so cool. I would be stoked if I got something like that. <laughs> I know I was <clears throat> always stoked with the, uh, with the gear giveaway for being published. And then along with that, you get um, 10 magazines, 10 copies. Yep. And then you also get an Eastman's hat, which, which always used to be a badge of honor for me is like you get published oh, yeah. and now you have this Eastman's hat that you earn that you got through it. And, and the other thing too is, is um, you, you know, we're, we're all trying to help the habit and, and being published in, a, in the leader uh, of Western hunting magazines, you know, it gives you some notoriety and it gives you something, you know, I know the first companies that I was able to rep for and pro staff for and where they'd send me gear to use, you know, the, the way I got noticed was, was from being published in Eastman's, you know, and, and using, you know, whatever it is, uh, the, the, the bow or the, the arrows or the Sitka gear or whatever you, you use, right. it, it kind of gives you a start in the industry, you know, it, it, it's a way to get a start and an in with these companies and it's tough to get on pro staffs nowadays. But if, if you're published in the leader of the Western hunting magazines, like it gives you a, a pretty good leg to stand on and a pretty good starting point for, for eventually, you know, making a name for yourself in the industry. So, you know, that's, that's a big part of it too, I think. No, you're absolutely right, Brian. And that's, that's an aspect that, that doesn't get focused on nearly as much. Most of the time when I get submissions, folks are just, they're just excited to be in Eastman's because I mean, let's face it, this company has been around longer than any of the other companies out there doing Western big game publication. And quite frankly, I think we do it better than, than anybody else. And I'm, and I'm proud of that. And I, there's a reason that I work, that I enjoy working for the Eastman family and being a part of that name is it's a big deal, and it's it's really really cool to be part of three generations, really four generations. Well, three generations, yeah, of of history in 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 this in this in this industry. And so, you're absolutely right. If you're trying to get a foot in the door and establish yourself as a name, submit stories. It's, it's a great way to get started. On the other hand, it's also a great place. To just if you've got a great story and you want to tell it and you don't really necessarily care about anything that anything else it's still the best venue to do it in because we reach lots and lots and lots of people and you just never know who's going to see that it might turn into something later on i was talking with a young man the other day about that very thing and i said you know you just don't know where things will go from here and by getting by submitting your story and getting it in print that opens up doors for you further down the road that you don't know what you don't know where those paths are going to lead and even if you're not into in it for that you still got your you've still got your story in a magazine you know 
you talk about you getting your start. That's exactly how I got my start as well. When, when my wife and I got married, we, we moved and we moved not too far from the Eastman's office here in Powell. And I've been an Eastman's fan since, man, since I was a kid and watched the videos and watched Gordon's old movies and, and read the magazines that Mike put together and just the whole, the whole shebang. And then watched the hunting shows as well and thought, man, it'd be kind of cool. And my wife and I had an incredible season hunting elk that first year we were married. We ended up, we ended up harvesting four elk in a little over two weeks. And it was, well, it was exactly two weeks actually. And the last one was her first bull. And her bull, it was, it was a big bull. It was a 336 point completely over, I'm sorry, completely DIY, um, public land, a whole ball of wax. And it was a great story. There was a lot of stuff that gone into it. She get, she went from being a non-hunter to a hunter who harvested a monster bull elk in about a year. And the, and the journey that that, that that entailed was incredible for her. And I wrote the story and submitted it, not thinking anything about it. The next thing you know, I was, Hey, we're going to publish your story. I think it's really great. And then now here I am roughly three years later, sitting in at the managing editor's desk. At, how do you predict that? You know, I mean, you just don't know where things like that are going to go. And that's, I'm not saying that's the reason that I, that I submitted my story. Cause it's not, I submitted the story cause I wanted other people to hear about this fall. We had, I was, I was flabbergasted of our success that year, especially hers and wanted to share it. Cause it was a cool thing. And it was neat just to see the, see it in the magazine and all that. And then the next thing you know, here I am and I'm working for a company that I have the utmost respect for. And so, yeah, you're right, Brian, you just don't know where things are going to go. And, and it's, I don't know, the intrinsic value of having a story published in Eastman's goes way beyond the gear you get and any notoriety that, that you might receive. It's, there's just something to be said that, you've got this magazine with your story and pictures in it. And it's, I don't know that, that to me is worth, worth just about any amount of compensation. Oh, it so is. Yeah. It, it used to mean so much to me. It still means so much to me. I still look at articles that I have published and spreads you put together for me. And, and uh, I, I'm just so proud of them and so honored to be in, in such a great magazine and work for such a great company. But yeah, just like you said, that's how I got my start. It was going on these adventures and, and it was in part, I always wanted to write and work for Eastman's. I, and, and so I'd submit them to Eastman's, but in part, it was just, I wanted to tell these great adventures that I had. I, I yeah. I was so proud of the trials and tribulations I went through and and that I stuck it out for nine or ten days and I put in hundreds of miles and all this training and all this effort, you know, all to find success and then able to find it and harvest a trophy animal, um, you know, and so I'd get it published in there. And, yeah, it was, you know, got a, a handful of stories, six, seven stories published in there. And, and after a while, I think they got tired of my submissions. And finally, you know, the, <laughs> I, I hit up the old editor, uh, Adam, in there and said, hey, you know, what about me writing a couple pro staff articles? And so he gave me a yeah. chance. Guy and Ike gave me a chance and, and then able to, to continually write for such a, a great magazine. But you never know where it's going to lead. And it's, you know, it, it was my dream to, to work in the hunting industry and now to be able to do it and, and the podcast and be able to 
to write and, and work with guys like you and be part of the team just means the world to me. But you're right. You just never know where it's going to lead. And, and getting your story published in the best magazine is is the first step to, to, to anything or just sharing the adventure, like you say. You know, we, we all have different reasons for wanting to do it. But it is such a cool feeling to get an article published in Eastman's. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is, you know, and and I, I one of the neatest things about my job, one of the aspects that I've I've been able to bring from the classroom to the editor's desk is working with kids, working with the younger stories. We have the younger generation stories for both the bow hunting journal and the hunting journal, and getting to help kids put together a story or getting to edit a story that a kid has written and um, get that in the magazine and share that story of maybe it's a first bull, maybe it's a first um, antelope or a first mule deer. Or what, it doesn't matter. Being able to share that success and really, I don't know, throw some kerosene on the fire of that kid's enthusiasm for hunting, that's, that's a benefit for, for all of us in the future of hunting by making it exciting and giving that kid a shot in the arm saying, hey, look at Look at this! You're in a you're in a magazine. I I love that part of my job. I absolutely love it. I love I loved it as a teacher. I loved helping kids. That's why I was a teacher, and I love it today. Still, I still get to help kids craft stories and tell their story of their hunt. Which is I don't know. You get you can almost you can hear the excitement over the phone. You can read it in an email. And then I can only imagine, I can only imagine the excitement that must happen, must take place when that magazine comes in the mail and they open it up and there's their story and their pictures in there. To me, that that's one of the coolest parts of, of what I do. And again, a great reason to submit stories and, and just, just do it, you know, especially, especially kids bow hunting stories um we're always looking for more of those to to be real honest that's that's something that for younger generation bow hunting stories if you've got us if you've been successful and you've got a story to tell submit it submit it because chances are you're going to make the magazine so well and there's such thrilling stories too those close encounters with a bow and arrow um, it, it just seems to to mean, and all hunting experiences mean a lot to you, but uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's just such an intimate I- experience, like with a bow and arrow. So I know there's guys out there with stories they're holding on to. So what about the other parts of submitting a story? Like maybe we can get into the to the harvest photos and what you're looking for in a harvest photo. You know, if you weren't going to go there, Brian, I was. <laughs> Photography's a huge aspect of submitting a story in fact quite honestly the ph- the photography is what will make or break your your story making the pages of eastman's the taking good quality field photos today in today's world is so much easier than it used to be for the simple fact that that little device that we call a phone that's really a mini computer that sits in our pockets the new phones of today, the new iPhones, the new droids, I don't care what one you've got. If it's in the last, if you've got a brand, a new one and a smartphone that's in the last couple of years, 
it's going to take as good or better pictures than a point and shoot does. And there's no excuse not to take the extra time and pose that animal up and get some good photos and snap photos along the hunt. As you go snap photos of you sitting around eating lunch under a tree, take some, take some shots, get your phone out, take some shots, get your, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys lug around a DSLR still awesome. That's great. The biggest thing for submitting stories to keep in mind is we have to get stories that are one megabyte or larger. Obviously we prefer them between five and 10 megabytes. And most of the phones, this iPhone that I've got uh, right now, the full photos I pull off of that are anywhere between five and eight megabytes. And they're great. They're high quality. They're reproducible in, in the magazine. And so we actually, we actually took that cell phone clause out of the submissions page this year because it, we were, we're past the point where guys are taking pictures on flip phones and it's so grainy and pixelated. You can't tell what the picture's even of. And so it's easier than ever to not only take good quality photos, but to download them into Dropbox or download them on a thumb drive or download them and attach them to an email and send them to me. It's never been easier to do and never been easier for us to reproduce. So photos are a huge part of that, huge part of that. I'm, I'm super glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's another huge part to remembering your hunts, looking back at a bunch of photos yeah. you took in your, your harvest photos. So I want to break down the harvest photo just a little bit while we're talking about it. So, yeah. you know, once you get that animal down, it, it's part of the enjoyment and part of the process to make sure you're getting good pictures. And, and good pictures to me mean as much uh, as much to me as taking home the horns, I could almost, I could almost leave the horns and just have a good picture. Like it means so much to me to have a quality picture. And I, I've always tried to take what I call, uh, uh, magazine quality pictures and magazine quality pictures are where, you know, like you said, to pose that animal up, to make him look like he's either laying there. And that can be a little tricky with elk or moose. But to lay him there, clean up the blood off him, you know, I like to tuck back in the tongue and then clean the blood off the face and really pose I up. I just to... cut it off. Yeah, that's right. I just cut the tongue. I just cut the tongue out. It's one of those things where on, on like a deer or an elk, I don't, I don't quite, quite often I don't take the tongue or I'm sorry, not an elk, but like deer and pronghorn quite often. I won't, I won't take the tongue on an elk or, or a larger animal. I'll, 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 I'll most of the time I'll take the tongue and eat it. Um, I, I really enjoy tongue. So, so it's one of the things that I always take, but yeah, if it's hanging out, it always seems like it's in the way. <laughs> it always seems like it's sticking out and it's hanging down and covered in blood and dirt. And the easiest way that I've found to deal with that is to reach in and just cut it out, Man, cut it off. And then you can, if you really take it out as a whole tongue, you could just put it in your game bag, take it home. And oh, I've, I've pickled it. I've slow cooked it. Tongue's great. Tongue's great. Definitely. If whether or not you you're not most places don't require you to keep that, but I just cut it off, and that way it's done, it's out of the way, and it's not sticking out, and something I have to worry about. That's such a good tip because even me tucking it back in the mouth, 
it it yeah. seems like it always falls back out at the worst time when you get <laughs> your know. best picture and then the tongue's hanging out. But it and it just ruins a, a photo. I mean, it doesn't absolutely ruin it, but for the magazine no. and for having your high quality photo, for me, it 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 ruins the picture, you know, or ruins that angle. But yeah, just take some time and clean them up. Like I'll take my game bag and kind of wipe some blood off the nose. Just try to make it as clean as I can. Elk, make sure you're never riding on top of them or sitting on top of yeah. them. You you just want to show class in your picture and and uh, and then and then respect, post respect for the animal. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. That's, that's that's my biggest thing is those pictures for me are they're the culmination of what I've worked so hard to achieve and showing that animal its proper respect by taking good pictures and taking the time to take some good pictures before you start butchering it and breaking it down and packing it out. That's, that's a big deal, you know? And, and like you said, sitting on it, we, we, we won't put mag, mag we won't put pictures in the magazine of people sitting on trophies. It's just, it's something that we don't feel is, is reproducible at the level that we want to do and maintain that level of integrity and respect. So it's something we shy away from. But, you know, you hit on a good point, Brian. I, I get a lot of pictures where animals are almost hidden in the brush or in vegetation, sagebrush, uh, trees on the mountains, and it's hard to see them. And that's one thing I'd, I'd really like to tell people. When it comes to deer and antelope especially, move them. Drag them out in the open where you can get some sky or a ridgeline or something behind that animal where it gives some perspective and it gives some contrast to those antlers or those horns where you can see everything really, really well. And there's no excuse not to move a deer and elk in most, I'm sorry, a deer and antelope in most situations. Hey, you kill one in super steep country and, and it's, it can be tough to, to do that. And elk, moose, things like that, I get it. When they're, a lot of times where they fall is where you're taking pictures. <laughs> They're just, they're so big and, and they're so hard sometimes to even maneuver. On the last two bulls I've, that I, that I harvested, I, I did solo. And so getting pictures that in that regard was tough. And I carry a little, I don't know, it's one of those like clamp on bendable tripods. They, they're not real big. They're, they're light. And I carried one of those for my phone and did timer photos. And I got some pretty good photos, but. Unfortunately, the elk died in a spot that was it was pretty rugged, pretty rough, and and by myself it was hard to move him. But if you've got a party of people, you can usually maneuver a bull elk pretty well to where you can get good pictures of it. But you know, get those get those get that headgear skyline skyline so you we can see it really well and think of your poses. Like you said, I like what you said about using the game bag. That's an awesome awesome tip. I didn't. I never thought of using a game bag to clean up blood. That's a great idea. Yeah, well, and um, like you say, elk and moose can be tough, but you know, you're you're yeah. in the you're in the woods. You can always get a good shot of your animal, and, and by yourself is tough, I know. But you know, I always get a quality image because it means so much to me. And and part of it too is taking that thirty minutes or forty five minutes or whatever it is. 
And like, I just don't worry about it. I'm going to get this thing butchered up soon enough. The work's going to begin. I'm going to get packing it out. Right. Like, I just take those moments to like, man, it really came together and just appreciate the animal. And I, I look at it, I touch it, I walk around it, you know, and, and then I start mm-hmm. getting some quality pictures. But for me, like, that's part of the enjoyment of harvesting something. I love that, that 30 minutes, 40 minutes of, of reflection and get pictures. And, and I like what you say. You know, as soon as I kill something, I'm looking for the spot where I'm going to take pictures. And I love, I love a good backdrop too, where it shows the gnarly country that I'm hunting or the terrain that yeah. I'm hunting in the backdrop. I love when you can Don't get the story. Yeah. And, and you get that camera low and all of a sudden the horns start to skyline and they really show up or, or maybe the backdrop shows it. Sometimes green trees really highlight the horns and then get down in your picture, really sit down or kneel down. Let the horns be the tallest thing in the photo or be the same height as the horns, you know, and, and you don't got to get a mile behind them, but, but get back behind your animal and hold those horns and then try to take a bunch of different angles and shots. And it seems like, Every species and then every animal within the species that you harvest has that certain angle where it just pops, where it just shows off the brows or shows off the big backs or shows off the width or shows off, you know, whatever it is. A bears are always tough to take pictures of, but you want to show that that big pumpkin head out in front of you, you know, and. And it seems like every animal has that angle. And if you're willing, you know, I'm always going back and I'm looking at pictures and then I'll go, oh, that's the angle I need. Let me take 10 more like that. And with today's day and age, digital cameras, you know, a a lot of times I take 30 to 50 photos, harvest photos. Sometimes I'll even take more than that. Sometimes I'll even take (coughs) 70 to 100 because out of those, there'll be a few that are just absolutely money shots that you'll have for the rest of time that are that are just the perfect photo of that animal. And like like my elk this year was uh, 50 inches wide, and he was a six-point, but he was so wide, and I had a tough time like capturing that angle. And then finally, I got it with his horns laid back towards the camera, just laying there on the, the ground and me kneeling kind of behind him. And I found like this perfect angle, perfect shot of this bull, but... Every animal has that angle that shows off their best feature and their best characteristics. You just have to find it. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. Uh, case in point was this weekend, Brandon Brandon Mason and I went out and, and hunted antelope, and we were both successful, and we both, we both were able to take really, really nice bucks. And we, we spent quite a bit of time. The, the day was cool. I mean, it was 50 degrees, 46 degrees. We weren't we weren't worried about you know we were going to get that animal those animals broken down and on ice and all taken care of, but so let's take some time and make sure we get really really good quality photos and all the different angles that we looked at and my buck in particular had had some he's got good cutters and and that was one of the reasons I really that that I that I harvested him was I was really impressed with those cutters and there was one specific angle where they just popped They you just went, wow, that looks really amazing. And we, because we took our time and, and looked at different angles and played different things. And I think, I think we both ended up taking somewhere in their neighborhood of 70 or 80 photos. And there's guys out there like, like Stephen Drake, that'll take way more than that. And the, but the point is play with those angles and take lots of photos because out of 
80 photos, it's probably going to be eight or 10 or 15 that look really good. And the rest will be, you know, your, your, your eyes will be closed or the animal's palm <laughs> falling out. You know your, I mean? your eyes are closed. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't believe I did that. My, I seriously, but yeah, it is what it is. Taking, taking lots of photos. And you know, I know there's going to be guys out there that are like, Oh, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's fine. Snap a couple photos real quick and get that thing, get that thing butchered and, and get it on ice. And I agree with that completely. You know, the first bull that I was part of, of harvesting this fall, I was able to bugle in a bull for my buddy the second week of September. And it was, it was warm, like hot. And it was, we had to get that bull off the mountain fast and get him on ice. We didn't hang him up. We got him straight on ice because it was so hot that day. And we, we still took a few minutes. We didn't take 30, but we took probably 10 and got, you know, 15, 20 really cool photos, a little bit of video. And then we got to work and we didn't lose any meat off that bull. And, and, and I didn't feel bad about taking the time to take some good photos that was the, you know, that was the first bull he'd killed in, in, I think he, maybe a year. And anyway, he was, he was really stoked. And to be able to capture that moment was priceless. And just taking 10 minutes to take some photos didn't make a bit of difference at all. We got that bull broken down and we got him all squared away. And we actually ate some of him that, that night. And it was, it was excellent. So I mean, yeah, there's situations where you may not want to take as much time to snap photos, but for the most, for the most part, take five minutes, 10 minutes at least, and take some good photos. You won't regret it because whether, I mean, we're obviously talking about submitting stories and we've got to have great photos, but even for the person that's listening, that's not going to submit a story, you won't regret having those photos. That that's something that you'll have forever. And, it, and you'll be able to look back on that memory and go, man, what a day. And it's just take the time and make it happen. And it's easier. Like I said, it's easier now than ever. I know you, I know you, you carry, what was that camera that you carry? It's a Sony, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a, it's a smaller version of a DSLR. And so it's an interchangeable lens, Sony a 6,000. Um, and, and it's just a great camera. It runs a uh, different lenses on it. My favorite is an all around 16 by 50. And then I've got a couple other ones that I change out for it, but it, it's just, a uh, it, it's got, you know, the lenses have a, a, a bigger, um, aperture on it or they, they just collect more light. Um, so, so they, you're able to get really good shots and you're able to do everything the big boys do playing with your, your aperture and your speed and your settings and, and really play around with it to get the best picture. But yeah, I love it. And it's small enough that I can carry it right on the side of my bino harness. And so, um, it's, it's nice to always have your camera accessible. It doesn't matter if you've got the best camera in the world, if it's always in your pack. And the only time you can take pictures is when you stop and dig into your pack. You, you got to have that yeah. camera accessible. And that's why a cell phone's so great. But also this camera, camera, it, it just takes such stellar shots. And, and like the pictures in megabytes, it'll take them, you know, in between 10 and, and 20. So they're such crisp images when you get them. Um, and, and then, you know, you're, 
you're you're able to you, you know mess with all your settings get it there and, and get that shot that you're looking for and it's good for support photos too is always having it on your side you end up taking more pictures and and the more pictures you can take on a hunt the the better off you are it's it's like um remembering your hunt to look back at three or four hundred pictures you took in your favorite 10 days of the entire season back in the wilderness or wherever you're at it just it means the world to you you know and so well it lasts all year long you know you're you get those february nights where it gets dark at four well where i grew up got dark about four o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) but you know it gets dark early and it's nice to be able to sit down and go through those pictures and go man I remember September. Mm, that was so awesome. I'm actually looking at that camera right now, Brian, on Amazon. Um, oh. There's some you. You've got me thinking. <laughs> oh, pull and the trigger on it. Oh, and I I said that yeah. wrong. It doesn't have a a bigger uh, aperture. It's got a bigger objective lens. That's what I meant to say. Right. Say bigger objective. Yeah, which will right. gather yeah, more light. Some- which is better in low light scenarios. And I can take a picture in the dark and just leave my shutter open for 30 seconds. And it looks like it's light out and picks up all the clouds wow. and the backdrop. And you can just do so many amazing things with it. The The more time you spend with it, the better you get. You can take pictures of, of like the horns in focus and the hunter out of focus by messing with the aperture. Right. You, you can just do so many cool things. And then they have so many cool lenses you can get with it. And it's good for filming. Uh, it's just a great all-around camera, and it's it's not ridiculously expensive. It, it's affordable no, for us guys. And yeah, some sweet kits. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the accessory bundles, and it's like my goodness, there's all kinds of stuff that comes with these things. Yeah, and get, like you said, it's it's small. I you'd have it on your bino harness, and you'd be pulling it out all the time to take to take support photos. That's huge. It's so often I'll get submissions where I'll have two or three, two or three harvest photos, two or three hero shots. And that's it. I don't have anything else to support the, to support the writing with. And it's fine. I can make that work. And we, and we do quite often, but our best submissions hands down are the ones where I have as many support photos or more support photos than I have harvest photos. Because then my design team has an, just an array of pictures to choose from. And it really, it really helps tell the story. We, we just put together 163 is the latest edition of the Hunting Journal. And in that particular issue, we put together a story of a couple that did a drop camp hunt on Kodiak Island and for Sitka Blacktails. Yep, right here. And the pictures that were included in that file, I couldn't include them all. I mean, there were way more than I could use. But the pictures in that, it could have just been a photo essay. I had so much fun looking at their pictures. It was amazing. It was so cool. And that's that's what I would strive for for all of my submissions if I could is take lots of support photos to, to tell, help tell your story. And a camera like this, or even a phone, just helps tell the story so, so well. It's it's kind of priceless. I look back on some of the elk hunts from this fall, because that's what I focused on mostly this year in September. And I took a lot of photos one day of the, the first bull that we were able to harvest. 
I took photos of as we were trailing it and, and tracking it after the shot. And I took a pile of photos with my phone, not thinking. And some of those are incredible. Some of them turned out, and I'm like, holy smokes, that is a really cool angle. That, that really captures that moment. And there's, there's one in particular that after we found the bull, he had, he had expired in, in an aspen stand. And he's literally, like, sprinkled with, with those golden, yellow, pinkish aspen leaves. And it was such, it's such a cool picture. It's a very simple shot. But then I zoomed right in and got really close and got like a macro shot of a leaf on it with his dark mane as the background. And it is cool. There's no antler in it at all, but the, the picture is really cool. There was another one where I got down and like you said, get the camera low and shoot back up. And I just happened, I was shooting back up along the main beams of the bull. And I just happened that my buddy who had, who had harvested the bull was standing there kind of looking at down at the bull in this, with this contemplative look on his face and, and, uh, that picture, it was luck, absolute luck. And the only reason I captured it is I was snapping pictures. I was taking lots and lots of photos. And I think that's kind of what it all circles back to. It's just take pictures, man. You're right. Just take pictures. And it's, it's so cool. We get to write a thousand to 1500 words in the, the famous saying is, is a picture is worth a thousand words and you get to have, <laughs> you know, if you take a bunch words of them, out of my mouth. yeah, you got 10 photos in there. That's worth 10,000 words plus your story. It just helps tell the story so well. And it's, um, you know, and be creative, um, back to the harvest photos, like, uh, you take that hero shot and you find that right angle of that animal. But I love those shots, you know, as he lays there and you're walking up to him or you just looking at the horns or when you get that authentic shot of like your buddy smiling in the background, like it's, it's yeah. not propped up. It, it, it's not rehearsed. It's just how it happened and you capture it right there. Organic. Yes. Organic. That's a perfect word. That's, that's, uh, that's what you're looking for in your support photos some of your harvest photos, be creative. And, and I like support photos. Um, you know, we're in the prettiest places that planet Earth has to offer. We're in the mountains that we love. Every place is a photo. You just got to find it, you know. And so finding yeah. those shots, those different focal points where you're focusing on something close or maybe everything's in focus. And I love having the hunter in the shot. And whether, you know, I use my self-timer a lot when I'm solo and I'll – you know, like that tripod you were talking about with the bendy legs on it, I can carry that yeah. like right on my hip so I don't got to get in my backpack to get a tripod. Right. And then I can wrap right. that around a limb or I can set it on the ground and then I'll go out and glass just like I'm looking or sit behind my scope or maybe I'm hiking up a hill or whatever it is. And I'll just set my timer and just grab shots like that throughout the hunt. And when I get done, it tells the entire story of the hunt. And when you when you do exactly. that, like telling your story in the magazine, you just get the coolest spreads in the magazine, you know? You know, and, and there's a there's a there's a new tool, Brian, that I'm sure you're aware of it, but <clears throat> I I haven't bought one yet, but I'm really, really contemplating pulling the trigger on it. Is a is a Bluetooth shutter. Uh, you for like for your phone, you have a little remote, a little remote control, for lack of a better term, it's a Bluetooth button that controls the shutter on your phone. And so you set your phone up, and you don't have to set the timer. You just set your phone up where you want, and you've got this little Bluetooth shutter button in your hand, and you're clicking away, taking snapping pictures the whole time because it's Bluetooth. It's completely wireless. 
And I, the first time I saw one of those, I thought, man, could I use that? <laughs> oh, isn't that cool? But, I started using yeah. it this season where so my Sony camera will connect to my phone and I can use my phone as a remote and it takes the picture yeah. on my camera and on my phone. So now I wow. can set that animal up or set my camera up and I can look at my phone screen and see what my camera's seeing and then hit the button and take shots through my phone. And so I've been okay, using so that that's a lot. Way beyond what I was even taught. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. So I just learned how to do it this year and it's just like, like this camera will do anything you want it to do. You just got to keep learning about it and reading about it but yeah now right. i use my phone as a remote for my camera so even on a support shot i can look down at my phone and see what my camera's seeing and, and click shots away and and i can click 10 20 shots and find that right angle and same thing with the trophy when i get them down i just can't have my phone in the shot i gotta set it down below where you can see right. and then look at the angle and then you know just hit the button as i'm looking at the camera or whatever i'm looking at but yeah it's way cool what you can do nowadays with remotes and things no oh, no doubt it it just goes back to the <clears throat> just kind of reiterates the point of there's no excuse not to take photos. You know, there's, there's no excuse not to write your story. There's no excuse not to take photos that go with your story and help tell it. And no excuse not to submit it really, uh, you know, send it, send it in and help us tell your story. That's, that's what we really want to do. That's what we're all about. And, and having the photos to go with the words is it's priceless. You, you can't, you can look back on either one of those. And, well, I'll go back to the story about Grandpa in the wall tent. The first time I met this man, we were I was invited over to his house by his, by his grandson, who's a very good friend of mine, for his birthday party. I'd never met him before. Um, by the end of the evening, everybody's upstairs doing birthday party stuff, and Grandpa and I are down in his den looking through old photo albums from the 19... 19- man, I don't know, 1960s to present day. And he's got a story for each single one, each single picture in there. And I'm just like, man, that's, I love that stuff. And that's what, that's what Eastman's is about. That's, that's what we're about. When, when we ask you to submit stories, that's what we're trying to help you capture and just have something for your future generations to look back on and say, man, look what dad did or look what grandpa did. I want to do that too someday. And, and just capture that moment, capture that animal and those memories. That's that's what submitting a story really is all about to me. Oh, it so is. You're so right. And then um, in the digital age nowadays, make sure you get yourself an external hard drive, back up all your pictures. Yep. Don't let it be lost with your computer crashing or something like that. So make sure you back them all up so you have them for a lifetime so you know you can show your kids and grandkids or uh, share them with friends later in life or look back on them yourself. I love looking back at, at old hunts I've done where I've taken a bunch of photos and, and it just makes me want to take more and more because it is so fun to, to relive and and a picture's worth a thousand words so um yeah and, and uh, uh being published in eastman's eastman's is just such a great company todd i'm so glad you're the editor there like you say you've you've helped me out over the years and and uh i'm glad you're part of the team glad i'm part of the team and man i, I just always really enjoy talking to you and having you on the podcast so thanks for making the time oh my pleasure it's honestly brian this is a dream job and it, it really is. I, if you'd have told me even 
five years, three years ago that I'd be sitting where I am today. I'd be like, no, that's, that'll never happen. That's, I didn't see that coming. And so this is a dream job and it's an, it's an honor to get to work with guys like you that are so passionate and good at what they do and to help folks, help folks bring their stories to the, out to the public and, and get them, get them in print, get them in a magazine that, that has an, a big circulation, tell their story for a lot of people to see. I love that. It's really cool. Yeah, well, um, you're doing a great job in there. So, guys, if you're listening and you have a story or a, a trophy that you've harvested, uh, make sure to reach out to Todd. Even if you haven't started a story, send him the pictures, get his feedback. He's approachable. He'll help you write the story, help you dress it up, but tell it in your own words. So make sure you get a hold of him. He's a great guy. And, and thanks again, Todd. We'll just uh, keep in touch, and I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, one one last thing, Brian. Just kind yep. of a closing thought. You bet. For people who are people who are listening and and are and say, okay, yeah, I want to submit. There's a couple different ways you can do it. You can go by the best way of doing it is going to the Eastman's webpage, Eastman's.com, and clicking on either the EBJ or the EHJ icon and going to the submit a story link. That will route you directly to the submit a story page. And it's got full instructions and details about everything that you need to do. And I, and then those submissions get pumped directly to me and we can start a conversation. You can also message us on Instagram and on Facebook. And I get all those messages regarding submissions and we can get the ball rolling that way as well. I just wanted to cover that before we, before we close down and Brian, it's, it's been awesome, man. As usual, it's, it's fun to talk to you. Likewise, man. Always enjoy our conversation. So thanks, buddy. Uh, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. You too, Brian. Take care. All right. That's a wrap. Uh, Eastman's Elevated, another one in the books. Uh, boy, we're getting up there. Episode um, 60, 62. I'd have to look again. I probably misquoted that. But, uh, man, it's such a fun endeavor. I'm just so glad I was able to start this and able to to keep this rolling, and it, it just seems effortless. You just, uh, you know, I line it up with, with buddies and, and uh, good hunters out there and sit down and have a conversation about hunting. Uh, you know, I, I try to plan out a few questions, but really it's run by the seat of my pants. It's, uh, you know, I just like to, I like this free flowing conversation back and forth and I don't like to have everything planned out. I like good, authentic conversation. And I think that's what we're creating on the podcast. So just such a cool deal. And thanks for, thanks to, uh, Todd Helms for being on. Such a great guy. Always enjoy our conversations. And uh, thanks to our sponsor for today's show, Eastman's Hunting Journal. I say those guys are so good to me and, and believing in everything I do and supporting me. Um, just great guys and great company to work for. So thanks to those guys. And uh, with that, uh, just a, a weekend of running here. I, I took out my nephew the other day. We tried to get him a buck. Boy, he had a, a close call on a buck. He's just 11 and um, ended up missing, but uh, it, it was a close call and good encounter on this really nice white-tailed buck, and and he'll get it. It's just a, a learning lesson when you're young, and you know, being able to stabilize your rifle and know when to take the right shot. But uh, he did really good, and and I, I'm proud of him, and and we'll get him a redemption round here later in the season, and and then getting ready to to take my daughter on the hunt. I think I got uh, my buddy uh, Dan Heverin and. Uh, Clint Casper, I think uh, Clint's flying back out to try to hunt an antelope during rifle season with his bow, which is going to be a real tough endeavor, but um, he, he wants to give it one last chance, so I think him and Dan are going to run down to the house here and 
I can give them a day or two is about all I can give. And then I'm going to take my daughter out east. And those guys may end up coming out east and hunting antelope out there. I know Dan's got a muley buck tag. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that and, and just getting set for um, a big uh, Montana rutting mule deer. Um, God, I love this season. So going to do that. I'm going to go out to Clint's in Ohio here coming up and and then start looking. I may squeeze in a few days for Dan in Idaho, try to fill his buck tag down in there and, and – uh, I don't know if they have any more deer tags left or if I can, sometimes you can get a second one down there if they have leftovers, but, uh, more concerned with getting Dan his buck and helping him out. And, and then I want to do coos deer late and, and I really hope to do the ATA show this year. So I got to talk to, to Eastman's and see, I've never been to any of those shows. So the archery, what is it? Archery trade association. Um, that would just be a great one to go to. So, uh, that would be really fun. Need to talk to those guys about that. And, and if so, I need to plan that coos deer trip accordingly. And, um, few, few good hunts coming up and I'm just going to focus on those and, um, keep working hard, uh, trail running like a madman, shoot my bow like a madman, weights. Um, God, I did, I did, uh, slipped my back the other day and, and not too bad. And I pride myself on keeping my back strong and my core strong. And I just lifted, I had this siding to load up and nobody was in the yard. And so I tried to just pick up an end and drag it in the back of my truck. And I, I know better. You should cut that just gets me in trouble. This young man's attitude where you just like, Oh, just get it done. You know, instead of waiting five, 10 minutes and tracking somebody down to give me a hand or stick it on the forklift or whatever. And it was just, too heavy and I just kinked that lower part of my back and I haven't done it for a long time and I've been really good with my stretching and weight training but it just reminds you like um you know it was out for a week and a half I could feel it and I'd feel it on my trail runs and I'd get it sore and um I just hate feeling like that I just it's the worst so I'm about a hundred percent recovered or at least 99 percent so running hard now and man I'm just gonna be disciplined uh on my stretching and on my 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 weight training and and core strengthening and I'm gonna make sure I can do all I can do so I don't pull it out again and it it wasn't even that bad a one I mean on the scale of one to ten for pain or for you know how bad it was it you know it was probably only a two or three but it was just annoying when you're sleeping and when you're getting up you're stiff when you're getting out of your truck and you know and tough to work a full eight ten hour day with your back slipped out you know it um, so I just, I just want to get it in as good a shape as I can get it in and, and then, uh, get rid of this, this young man attitude I have, I just get her done all the time. Like I should have known better. Um, but it, it is just is what it is. So anyways, all healed up now. It's all good, but just got to keep working hard. I'm really looking forward to these, you know, these final few hunts I have and hanging out with buddies and, um, been recording some really good podcasts here lately. And, and, uh, I want to work, work really hard at that and bring this podcast to the next level. So I'll be focused on that here. Um, and with that, uh, thanks you guys for all the support. Appreciate it. Uh, reviews on iTunes, the social media follows and, and, uh, reaching out and letting me know that you were successful this season the, means a ton to me. And, and I appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know. So thanks a bunch guys. Uh, I'll check in with you next week.